Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in and being a part of this podcast. The way many are getting, an increasing number of people are getting their, the way to find out what is going on in the industry. And there is certainly a lot going on with no stretch of imagination. It's really wild. But it's good to have you tuning in. It's Monday, May 9th, broadcasting live from Integrity Home Mortgages offices here in Winchester, Virginia, out here doing some efficiency work efficiency assessment work with a client that has been around for a long, 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 long time. And it's so fun to be back in their offices. And so we're broadcasting from one of their offices. So hopefully this is coming through loud and clear for all of you. Good to have you with us. We are going to be talking about existing home sales in the Hot Topics segment. We've got Mark Fleming, Chief Economist for the First American, who will be uh, joining us in the Hot Topics segment. He's on the line and uh, really interesting statistics What's most interesting, existing home sales, which are published by the National Association of Realtors, have been up, are are up for the year. But if you look at the first quarter, month over month, they've declined, the worst declined, first quarter decline since 1991. What the heck is going on? Especially when mortgage rates are so low, where's the home, home sales, existing home sales headed? Well, we're going to get some answers today with Mark Fleming. Very excited to have him on the Hot Topic segment. Again, this broadcast is, or podcast, is created, uh, broadcast, broadcast, it's the same. Uh, it's created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. And we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award from Progress and Lending. Thank you very much, Progress and Lending. Uh, let's see here. Let's talk about some of our sponsors. We're very grateful for our sponsors because they make this possible. And uh, the first sponsor is ArchMI. They are doing a great job with their new product, the Innovative product, the Rate Star program. We're going to hear from Jim Jump a little bit later. Motivity Solutions. I want to say a special shout out to them. Thank you for them being a sponsor. They're the industry leading business intelligence technology and, and uh, they bring you this dashboard tool, these dashboard tools and so you have real time reporting and scorecards on what's going on in your business. Real time knowledge on your business. This is a dynamic business and uh, you got to have it. Uh, Velma, Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, is what Velma stands for. You can check it out at Velma.com. They do a great job of getting the word out on your program, programs and marketing to your database. They have a set it and forget it auto campaigns as well as the create it on the fly, and they'll get it out to your customers. They do a great job, and they help you with the messaging. Also, a special thank you to Simplifile. Nancy Alley and the team over there at Simplifile do a great job in this post-trid world. Timing is of essence, and waiting for an email and the, with the latest updates is no longer acceptable. In fact, it's not even a good idea. With Simplifile, you can collaborate with closing agents in way of a real-time chat and messaging. You can also track and share, receive, validate documents and data. You can also share these changes, updates, deficiencies, and statuses in a real-time format and through an electronic exchange. Best of all, you have a built-in audit trail of all this. To learn more, go to Simplifile, simplifile.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E. 
or call them at 1-800-460-5657. D&H, glad to have them as a sponsor. They have some great products over there. We had Barometer product, one that's coming to market that's very interesting. They got mortgage, uh, MortgageBot, which is one of the leading uh, uh, LOS systems out there in the market. Encourage you to get a hold of a D&H representative. They uh, have got some programs, and their sales staff can explain them to you that really cover all the way through. And one of the things I want to focus on D&H right at the moment is they have a servicing platform that is really amazing. It's great for those that are emerging and getting into servicing. You've got to check out what they have there as well. Great group of people, great products. And again, I, when it comes to technology companies, I'm looking at how well are they capitalized. D&H is extremely well capitalized. I encourage you to check it all out. Also, want to say thank you to the Mortgage Collaborative who's getting the word out. We're proud to be a part of the Mortgage Collaborative here at the Transformational Mortgage Solutions and the radio program, Looking and Lending, and uh, they do a great job. If you're looking for an association of the top mortgage professionals for which you can work with to get to know what's going on, networking, and then making a difference, you want to join the Mortgage Collaborative. It is really, truly a great group of people, David Kittle, John Robbins. Uh, I could go on, and in fact, I need to get that list out here of all the past presidents of the MBA that are working this. And what's unique about the Mortgage Collaborative is they actually work hand-in-hand with the MBA and not across purposes. So it's a great association to be a part of it. As far as the MBA is concerned, we have the Secondary Marketing Conference starting on Sunday. And May 15th, it goes through the 18th in New York City. I'll be there broadcasting live. Look forward to seeing you there. There's also uh, June 5th through the 8th, the Chairman's Conference. Then we have the New York State MBA Convention on June 10th through 11th. I think it's June 10th and 11th, uh, 9th, 10th, and 11th. I'm speaking on the 10th there in Albany, New York at this convention. Very excited. I just spoke at the Ohio Mortgage Bankers Association this past week. Went real well. Talk more about that in a little bit. And then also we have the 44th Annual CMBAs, California Mortgage Bankers Association Western Secondary Conference. We'll be doing a broadcast from our sponsor, uh, ArchMI, they have from their booth or in their suite, will be doing a uh, podcast there on Monday the 25th, whatever that Monday is. So July 25th at Weston St. Francis. Check all this out. MBA conferences and education, great place to find out what's going on. And while you're there, sign up for the MBA Mortgage Action Alliance. Joe Farr is on a much-deserved vacation, so we're missing having Joe around. Looking at interest rates are just up slightly based on their website right now. Last week was a really interesting week. We had construction spending that was up from the previous month. It was at a negative one half, uh, five tenths of one percent. This month it was up three tenths for the month of March, is the last reporting period. That's what we reported on last week. March was up three tenths of a percent, but what's so interesting is economists are expecting five tenths of a percent. So while it was better than the previous month, we did see it off from the, what economists were expecting. Also, when we received the ISM Services Index came at 50.8. That was down from what economists expected, and even more interesting, down from the previous month of 51.8. We have ADP payroll change. They were hoping to see 195,000 new jobs. The previous month it was 200,000. Unfortunately, it came in at 156,000. Very disappointing on the ADP payroll change number. Expecting more paychecks and then what we saw. Productivity was at a negative at a negative one percent uh, versus the negative two point two previous month. At least that was a little bit better than or not as bad as economists were expecting, which was one point three. Uh, trade imbalances at negative forty billion dollars for forty point four billion. 
and that's a little less negative than it has been in, in the past. Factory orders were up at 1.1%. That's better than economists expecting. They're expecting one half of 1%, and even better than the previous month at, one, at a negative 1.7%. ISM Services Index was at 55.7, eh, slightly better than the previous month. Jobless claims came in at 274,000. That's probably the thing that was most disappointing on Thursday. But the big number that really kind of ended up moving the needle in the markets was the non-farm payroll number on Friday came in at 160. Economists were expecting 200,000 new jobs. And that payroll report, it was 195 the previous month, came in at 160. That helped mortgage rates, but really kind of got our attention as it relates to what's going on with the job growth here. Maybe get some feedback from Mark later on. The unemployment rate stayed unchanged. Kind of thought it might even fall to 4.9, stayed unchanged at 5 point, even, 0.0% even. And then we saw average earnings stayed the same and met economist expectations. Now, when you look at what we have coming up this week, uh, this week is we've got the job opening and labor turnover survey tomorrow, and that'll be another jobs number. We'll be paying close attention to that, especially in light of the news we received on Friday. Also, we have a, a series of treasury auctions this week. The three-year treasury auction is on Tuesday. Wednesday, we have the 10-year treasury auction. Then we have the 30-year bond auction on Thursday, Excuse me, the 10-year auction is a Wednesday. The 30-year bond auction is on Thursday. So lots of activity. We've got retail sales on Friday. Always interested in hearing how these go. Jobless claims on Thursday as well. So getting a little more of a focus on what's happening with uh, jobs. Consumer sentiment is on Friday. Again, it's not a big market mover, but always like to look at it. So the auctions this week will be most important, as well as retail sales and uh, pay close attention to those numbers. And if you're trying to figure out where the markets are headed, what's going on with activity, latest interest rates, and movement of the bond markets, you've got to get over to MBS Quoteline if you want to learn more how to get in touch and get some signed up for the service. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief word. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 the Lickin' on lending show is back here is your host david Lickin. good to have you back with us everybody i think i just turned on nope yep my paul Mallow, your mic looks like it's live here good to have you with us ah. my friend for some reason, the screen's jumping around on me right at the moment. I'm go to punch it, and so people are dialing in from all over. And as more people dial in to listen, they dial in just to hear from you, hear hear you. How's that? <laughs> Make you feel good? Uh, I guess. Well, thanks, Dave. <laughs> it's got beat me. What do we got, got the screen on? jumping around here. Yeah, what's yeah. the news here? I'm looking at your screen right now. Oh, Lenders oh. cozy up to non-QM loans. Hmm. Real interesting. Yeah, listen, I mean, kind of... there's a lot of interesting things going on out there in the market these days. I mean, listen, apps are up, um, at least with the non-banks that I've been talking to. They're feeling pretty good. Uh, Non-QM market, more interest shown in that. Uh, the new study out from ABA, which says non-QMs account for 40% of mortgages originated. 
by 159 banks in 2015. Now, that's banks. Now, we know a lot of non-banks that are playing in that space. We always mention Citadel, of course, Servicing yep. Corp, Deep Haven, Mortgage, Angel Oak. Uh, you know, and, you know, there's a – it's a slow but steady pro- pro- process of increasing – uh, both the number of lenders and the lenders in the market increasing the number of loans they're making. They're getting slowly comfortable with this. Securitizations are not a big part of this yet, but who knows? Uh, listen, it's slowly growing, carefully growing. This isn't the subprime of last decade where the crazy stuff was being originated and securitized through the street. So we'll continue to keep an eye on the non-QM market, but it looks like there's some positive signs. That's sort of the sort of the long and short of it. Uh, marketplace lender, SoFi, the, uh, we did an interview with one of their PR people, uh, we went back and forth, and they finally gave us an origination number. SoFi is a again marketplace or P2P lender. They told us they're doing 100 million a month, which is you know annualized. It's about uh, 1.2 billion, I think. Uh, you know that's pretty good. It's, but listen, you know yeah. P2P and marketplace lenders are in the news. Uh, Lending Club, which I don't think they're making residential residential mortgages, or if they are, it's not a a large number. Their uh, CEO resigned this morning. There was some something going on with some loans they sold in the secondary market. Uh, that was, you know, big news this morning. Their stock was getting creamed. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys I talked to in the industry think this whole thing about P2P uh, lending is a big fad, marketplace lending, whatever you want to call it, and, and that if they think they're going to make it huge in the mortgage industry, they're dreaming. Uh, that's a story that uh, has yet to play out but might be playing out over the next year. Altasource okay. Residential, that's the huh? uh, single-family rental business uh, that's associated with all the Altasource companies. they got their roots in Aquin. Posted a big loss this morning, but they've been buying up real estate and renting it out. Uh, their stock trades at about 50% of book. It'll be interesting to see what the future is for that company. Uh, we have an update from Carissa, who's our GSC editor, uh, updating what's going on with the shareholder lawsuits. Uh, not a whole lot new there, but uh, you know some of these things are kicking around the court. Motions are being taken. Uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency um, said the proposed transfer would prevent uh, future copycat cases. They're talking about a transfer to a, a certain court of some of the pending cases. Uh, that's a you know another story that's going to play out over the next few years. Uh, you know the whole thing over the sweep net worth sweep uh, yeah. agreements yes. which were written in, into law three or four years ago. Uh, you know all that money goes to Treasury now. The junior preferred shareholders want some of that, and that that's just one of those comp- complicated and convoluted legal things that are. You know, who knows when it's going to be decided. Uh, MSR markdowns, and uh, we have a lot more people telling us that hedging uh, is going on. Uh, Companies are looking at hedging their MSRs. Anyone who follows the publicly traded mortgage companies know they've been smacked around pretty good on their MSR marks. Uh, But listen, anytime rates go down, your MSRs are going to go down, depending on how you hedge, what you do, how big you are. Uh, when rates go up, some of that stuff gets marked up. So that's sort of a you know an interesting situation. We continue to watch that. In short takes, we have a number of uh, bulk deals are coming out. Uh, we have uh, new deals from Inter- uh, InCenter Mortgage, formerly known as IMA or Interactive Mortgage Advisors, uh, Mountain View Servicing Group. Uh, they're out there. Mark Arlen Shop, Phoenix Capital, MIAC. I believe Presswick and some of the other boutiques are working on deals. Uh, so that's picking up. I think rates have stabilized. So I think we'll see more servicing offerings. Joe Garrett, who's a, a consultant with Garrett McCauley, always read his newsletter. He always has interesting things to say, and he was opining about the future of SoFi. Uh, that's on the website now. Uh, a little more about PHH Corp, Keith Barrett and Woods. Uh, you know, they're, they 
called it an outperform. PHH has been smacked around. Uh, we don't know what the future holds for PHH. They're retrenching. They're doing this. They're doing that. Their stock's been clobbered. Uh, they're one of the largest, or if not the largest, publicly traded non-bank out there. Uh, and their future is, shall we say, uh, got some clouds out there. And uh, mm, yeah. watch that story as well. Uh, just a real a quick note, Redwood Trust, which has been retrenching, reorganizing, getting back to its roots as an investor in mortgages and MBS, uh, they posted a profit in the first quarter, $12 million. Oh. So that's good news, and um, we'll continue yeah. to, to view that one as well. All ongoing stories that uh, we're covering in IMF News. So that's the long and short Good stuff. And doing a great job at both. Excuse me, folks, if you are not getting this letter, go to imfnews.com. Sign up for it. It's right there on the page. It lands in your inbox. Paul and company are doing a great job of keeping you informed of what's out there, and he does a great job. He's calling us all regularly. Have you heard this? What's going on here? You're on it, Paul. Appreciate what you're doing for the industry and keeping us all up to date. Great website. And thanks for coming on the program again, my friend. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good week. You bet. Thank you. All right, let's see here. Alice Alvey is up there in uh, Detroit. I'm assuming you're still in Detroit. Are you up there? Are you traveling again? You travel as much as I do. Almost. Almost as much. And Alice, do you have your mic on? Do we have your mic on? Do we have you? Or did you disappear off of there because of it? Oh, there you are. Found you again. Alice, sorry about that. We got you on now. Did you <laughs> drop right for a while yeah, and head dial back fault. in? Yeah, my <laughs> that was my fault. Hit the wrong button. So thanks for finding me again. Yes, <laughs> Those um, buttons. Hitting the wrong button can get you in trouble. Now with car so cars getting all all buttons now, it's just like you just it, everything's electronic. You hit the wrong button, you could be in trouble. But yeah, yeah. You're back well, well, it's uh, it's here. interesting that Paul brought up QMs because I had that on my list uh, to bring up too. Just briefly because we have that you know we've got small creditors out there that uh were able to move into this uh 2000 they had 2000 and first liens excluding their portfolio they were still able to go with balloon loans and had some exceptions for high cost mortgages where they still didn't have to set up escrow accounts well not so they went they were in the exemption throughout 2015 april 1st was their deadline to go okay do i still get to stay and be and call the small creditor or can, do I need to move into being now I, I, I'm not exempt anymore? Or vice versa. We have some lenders that weren't a small creditor and their volume and uh, portfolio has changed to where now they're looking at, well, would I want to use the small creditor exemption? So April 1st was the, the cutoff, and so April's been the month where everybody's analyzing this, and it's definitely a topic in the community bank world to kind of go, what should I do? Uh, should I play this conservative still play like the big boys and not go down to my and take advantage of my small creditor status. So, you know, we do see that the community bank world is assessing this right now and a lot of companies are saying, you know what, if I didn't take the exemption before, maybe I'm qualified as a small creditor now, but I'm going to stay where I'm at. I'm going to not take advantage of the exemption and watch this for a little bit longer. So an interesting thing that happens um, Throughout April and in early May, they're starting to make decisions. Uh, that mid-year QM or first quarter QM decision is going on right now. Also, um, in the news, we're talking to a lot of companies that are trying to get out of having to pay these small de minimis title fees. Pennies, right? Cutting checks over and over yeah. again for pennies. <laughs> so 
uh, because of the differences at the time of closing of what actually happens uh, in my recording fees. So um, one of the things that we learned is companies are really worried about this, they're bringing it to the CFPB attention. I'm just going to give everybody a heads up there. You're going to make them pay attention to something, but you're not using the right number. The actual number the CFPB is going to start caring about is what showed up on the recorded mortgage. So I find it interesting that the industry is trying to go to CFPB and say, can you give us a de minimis number? Like we wouldn't have have to cut a check for five cents or a dollar, you know, to refund these difference in recording fees. And uh, one response said that the CFPB said, well, that's governed by state law. What is de minimis by state law definition? So the industry is going in circles in this, and I'm I'm trying to give folks a warning. I'm not sure you want them to pay attention that closely (laughs) because we're off by a lot in some cases if you really look at the actual recorded mortgage. Um, Our company does this. We we handle thousands of uh, title e-recordings, and uh, definitely we see that there's more of a gap than lenders are worrying about right now. So do be very much aware of that. When your title fee, your recording fee is off, uh, there are some state issues that come into play. You should be looking at your closing instructions and making sure that those have you protected. In some states, they don't hold a lot of water, but in other states, um, that the closing instructions and the closing protection letters can at least give the lender an ability to have a claim that the CFPB could ever go after you. So definitely requires an attorney to assess your business by state. There you go. I gave the legal plug. Um, Um, As far as proposed rules, the CFPB has a proposed rule out on May 5th to uh, put on the table to prohibit mandatory arbitration clauses. You know, for the most part, this isn't something the industry is doing heavily. Federal law already prohibits this in mortgage and manufactured homes um, and for, you know, military service borrowers. So they're looking really to provide a ban across all financial consumer products. Um, So we'll watch that mildly. Um, Congress is just getting back now, so we'll see what else they come up with. And then um, last but not least, trended credit data. Just a reminder, uh, this June 26th, when you need to make sure that you're prepared to understand how trended credit reporting is going to change just a few of your borrowers as you start running DU version 10 in mid-June. Uh, so make sure your teams and everybody's aware of, uh, you know, this may not be a huge change. It's definitely getting a little bit more news right now. We will definitely, at least from what we know so far, see that the cost of credit reports will probably go up. Um, so that's my, those are my tidbits for today, Dave, for the heads up and what's going on in the risk management world today. Lots to keep track of. Once uh, your sense, several people wrote me and said, ask Alan what her sense is of the TRID pending changes, that announcement that came out here recently by CFPB. A lot of people are just trying to gauge, is this just going to be more uncertainty? Uh, where is this heading, and should we just sit down and not worry about it? And I think, we, well, I think ultimately it's we don't know until they publish something right now. Right now it's a right. lot of hot air and speculation. You know, no one knows what they're really going to publish. If they really do pull out what they've said in various WebExes and what's sitting in some of their training content, we might at least get a few things in writing. But um, some of the big unknowns are we don't really feel we're going to get a lot of clarity. Uh, so we'll wait and see. Right now I'm, I'm on the skeptical side that we're going to get anything concrete. I don't think we're going to get anything new to worry about. I think we're just not going to get the problem solved that we need. Yeah, that's, 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 my, that's an excellent way to put it. I'm not sure we're going to get the problem solved. In other words, stay tuned. More, more 
trip right. trauma. <laughs> right, trip More trauma. trid trauma. <laughs> the trid trauma right. train continues to uh, stir things up. Well, thanks for answering that question, Alice. Appreciate you coming on each and every week. Looking forward to uh, having your participation in the conversation with existing home sales with Mark. And then we got, of course, Andy Shell coming up here in a minute as well. So, folks, stay tuned to learn more about how to connect with Alice and her many wonderful services that she provides. Best trainer in the whole world. Is Stay tuned. Listen to this message. We'll be right back. I think we're going to get this started. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm sitting here. What's so funny? If you have questions fun, about like mortgage that. regulations, oh, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Oh, it's so funny. I'm sitting here with my iPad open on one side, which means you're touching the screen all the time. I have my laptop here, and I'm pushing the button to start your ad, Alice. And I'm going, it's not, you're on your laptop. It's cross devices here, staying in touch with what to do. Anyway, good to have you here with us. Sam Garcia, we're going to be with Andy Shell in just a minute, but we want to hear from Sam Garcia to get an update on what's going on at MortgageDaily.com. Sam, good to have you with us, my friend. How's the weather back home in Dallas? It's kind of gloomy, but it's been worse, so I can't complain. A little bit humid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's uh, starting to set in. Well, it's, it's good to have you here. I've got your website up. Very good amount of information here. Give us a rundown on what our listeners need to know about this week. Yeah, well, you know, this first quarter uh, is just about ending as far as the earnings seasons go, and these reports have indicated uh, in most cases that loan applications were up in the first quarter, and um, we got some good news on top of that because this past week, uh, new rate locks based on uh, our mortgage market index jumped 27% from the previous week. That's a huge jump, um, and it's even more significant because it was the strongest week we've seen since March 2015. So it's been more than a year since new business has been this good. And you know what, what was behind this really good week was new refinance business, which uh, rose by nearly half from the previous week. And jumbo business was up 56%. But, of course, refinance volume is far more significant than jumbo, so that has a much bigger impact. So always good news to hear that we're heading up even yes. stronger for the second quarter um, and probably see some revisions maybe even in some of these uh, economic forecasts that we cover, of course. Um, and on that jobs report you mentioned, um, the, the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics indicates that non-bank mortgage employment was up 900 jobs in March. So that's good. We saw a little bit of growth there. Um, so we take that, that data and then we uh, add to it or basically factor in origination market share. And so we estimate that total uh, employment in the industry somewhere in the neighborhood of about 620,000 people for uh, the mm. industry. And that includes roughly about 259,000 mortgage employees at banks. 63,000 uh, home lending positions at credit unions, and then, of course, the 297,800 reported by the BLS. So a little bit of growth, and we had seen some contraction recently, so probably we're seeing some activity as a result of refinance uh, activity increasing recently. Um, the Mortgage Bankers Association put out its Mortgage Credit Availability Index, 
Uh, that index has been down actually five out of the last six months, and it hasn't gone up since October. So we've seen kind of a little bit of credit tightening each month, um, which is what it indicates when it drops. So keep an eye on that and hopefully see something loosening up there. And, and along those lines, the Federal Reserve put out its April 2016 Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey on Bank Lending Practices. And uh, 28% of the banks surveyed said that demand for government mortgages was up. Um, GSE guidelines eased at over a third of banks. Uh, another couple points we picked up from that was demand at nearly a quarter of the larger banks uh, was up uh, at for non-QM jumbo mortgages. And then more than 18% of larger banks noted stronger demand for non-QM, non-jumbo loans. So those are some of the points that we covered from that most recent survey, which the, the Federal Reserve puts out every three months. Um, bankruptcy data came out. Uh, we got data from the M American Bankruptcy Institute indicating that non-commercial bankruptcy filings came in at nearly 67,000 last month. And that was 11% uh, lower than March, and there was even a bigger decline from a year earlier. So fewer people, at least last month, filing bankruptcies. Uh, over at Freddie Mac, they put out their monthly summary, and they indicated that their residential 90-day delinquency rate was 1.2% in March. That turned out to be the lowest delinquency rate for Freddie Mac since August 2008. So always good news wow. to hear about delinquency falling. Um, there, uh, there was a uh, uh, the report from PHH. They put out their quarterly earnings, and they indicated in that report that they're going to close their correspondent lending channel. Uh, PHH did about uh, $8 billion in the first quarter in originations, and the, both, you know, when you combine the correspondent and the wholesale, it added up to less or less than $0.3 billion. So it's not going to have a huge impact, but uh, just an interesting bit of news when another correspondent lender is not uh, going to do that business anymore. So those are some of the biggest headlines that we've had over the last week. Of course, we had a whole lot more that we covered. but uh, Oh, there's a whole lot more on your website, yeah. But it's good to touch on the in, uh, on uh, what's going on. The PHH, what's interesting, they're cutting their correspondent division. They're in the midst of a, of a real serious battle with the CFPB. They're leaders in the industry. So um, I wonder if it's market share and uh, what's going on. But it's just fascinating to see how the banks come and go. Uh, in and out of that space. So we'll see what happens and what their next chapter is. But it's good to have you with us, Sam. Appreciate you tuning in, dialing in, and being a part of this. Making this Thank you, and enjoy the rest of your trip of your... there. <laughs> Thank you so much, friend. Have a great one. Let's head over to Andy Shell. It seems like we're all mobile these days. We're traveling, and we've got Andy Shell dialing in from uh, somewhere out in Tennessee. I was whistling a yes, few tunes from the Deliverance uh, uh, movie there a long time ago, but you're in the civil, civilized parts of Tennessee. There's some good parts. Pretty pretty country, though. Beautiful. It's very, very pretty, and I'm pretty sure I saw the the guy on his banjo sitting next door. So it's we're on the <laughs> sticks, which, you are on the which sticks, adds man. to the connectivity issues for sure. Yes, yes, for but, sure. But, well, we're good to have hey, you here. Hey, You're sounding hit on. clear, so get it up, give an update. Yes. Okay, good. Well, I wanted to start with a short commercial for MBA education. We have webinars coming up in June, mid-June, uh, two-week session on technology ROI, how to get the most out of technology, how to make conversions wow. work. It's a very extensive session. 
And it's the people, it's the thing that people miss because they think switching technology is like turning a light switch and all of a sudden it's a different system. And obviously I'm exaggerating, but it's, it's complicated and people underestimate it. So we're going to give some practical tools to actually generate an ROI from your technology. And then in June, and then and that's June, Dave, and then in July, we're going to talk about servicing and subservicing, how servicing works, how you make the money, all the functions in servicing, the responsibility of the subservicer. So we're getting into the nuts and bolts of servicing, and that's a two-week session, hour and a half each week, and that's in July. Now, this month in May, I don't remember exactly when it is, but there's an MSR webinar that's talking about the financial valuation aspect of the MSR. Mm. So that's a good one to attend as well. We're not teaching that, but that's a good topic. So today, Dave, I wanted to talk about, if it's okay with you, how to ruin the relationship with your top realtor. (laughs) <laughs> or, 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 be, I can or better think there's said, there's a lot of ways be, to do it. Or better said, <laughs> or better said, uh, funding contingency planning, and we've run across this quite a bit lately. And so I wanted to just bring up contingency planning. And, and I know this. I sit in, across the desk from mortgage company presidents, and I say the words contingency planning, and they roll their eyes. And the next words out of my mouth are blah 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 just like the Charlie Brown teacher. You know, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, they yeah. don't wah, wah, listen. Wah. They shut down. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, so, so envision this, and we, we've all experienced this at one stage or another, but you're, you've got your top originator is at the closing, and sitting across the table is the realtor, and next to the realtor is the borrower, and they're all sitting there at closing, and this is a wet funding state, and the title closing agent comes in and says, I'm sorry, Mr. Borrower, we're going to have to delay this for hours because the money's not here. The mortgage lender's money did not show up, so we're not going to be able to close your loan today. So let's reschedule. And the realtor looks at the lender, mm. and the, the originator gets on the phone and dials funding goes, well, you know what he does? He, 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 or he doesn't get a hold of funding because you know what funding did? They put their phones on Do Not Disturb because they don't want to get hassled by originators because they're trying to get loans closed. So right. it's this mass chaos of uh, finger pointing. And, you know, it's so avoidable with a little bit of contingency planning. So you, you, you prepare for these things. So when your funding department orders money from the warehouse bank, have them call the title company and make sure the money's there. And then after you call the title company and make certain the funding fund's there, get on the phone with the lender, with the originator, with the LO. Oh, by the way, I checked with First American's office in Nashville. They're good to go. You should be all set. How many originators get a call from the funding department proactively alerting them that I checked and I know the money's there, so you're good to go? How neat would that be, you know? So here yes. we have this this most visible event, our, our our biggest event in a customer's life sometimes, and it's our opportunity to do it perfect, to knock the ball out of the park, and it's also our opportunity to mess it up beyond recognition and forever <laughs> create a bad reputation. You know, it, it's it's it, we forever create that borrower, we forever 
impact that realtor and they to their friends and their friends and their friends and guess what happens to our volume we lose our lo because they're mad and they talk to their other lo friends and you know yeah just plan a little bit think through these things and we take it for granted we take this funding event so cavalierly we don't we don't give the appropriate attention that it needs to do it right the first time and you know i can hear alice right now she's on mute but she's going yes absolutely so you've got to validate the process. You've got to communicate. Make sure this stuff gets done right. And then with just a little bit of planning, we can be heroes and make realtors happy and fulfill borrowers' dreams of home ownership, which today not enough people are buying homes. So we're going to figure out why that's happening here. Yeah, can't right wait to away, find that out. To mark. Yeah. Well, there you go, Dave. It's going to be two in- cents. Well, it's good to have your two cents in on the picture, Andy. Appreciate it so much. And uh, if people want to learn more, what's the best way for them to email you? Andy at uh, mbs-team. Yep, you got it, Or can they can just call you and ask you for it. Oh, they can call me, and I'll be happy to send one over there. (laughs) Good stuff. I always learn so much at your webinars. You do an awesome job, Andy. Thank you so much. Let's get over to Thank Jim you, Jump. He's here with us. He's got a new update on the Race Star program. Always love hearing what's going on. Also, some new innovative things going on there at ArchMI. Jim, what you got Race for us? Race Star from Arch Mortgage Insurance Company is a revolutionary tool that allows lenders, bankers, brokers, community banks, and credit unions to dynamically price mortgage insurance coverage by individual loan risk anywhere, anytime. RateStar enables you to price each loan according to its individual risk attributes, match coverage to our most competitive rates, so you compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. RateStar is so effective because it uses a comprehensive set of data points to determine the strength and quality of each unique loan. Now you can deliver quotes anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most industry loan origination systems, product and pricing engines, ArchMI Connect, our origination platform, and through our websites, ArchMI.com and ArchMICU.com for credit unions, our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. All you need is your NMLS number. It's that easy. Key information is pre-populated and highly visual. RateStar makes it easy to choose an alternative with built-in options. Touch, tap, and go. It's a revolutionary way to get a mortgage insurance quote. Add a credit score and get rates. The selection that sets everything in motion. Quotes are delivered within seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of your unique loan. Easy. Save your quote in PDF format, send as an email, or save as a copy you can edit and reuse. RateStar is the tool our industry has been waiting for. RateStar is available on most industry product and pricing engines, as well as on most major loan origination systems. Whether you access RateStar through these systems, or from an ArchMI website, ArchMI Connect, or our mobile app when you're on the go, you receive the same comprehensive customer support you've come to expect from ArchMI. RateStar. Getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. Let the revolution begin. 
Yes, check it out, ratestart.com or at archmi.com. And then also Emotivity Solutions KPI of the Week. Love having John Maniel with his pre-recorded comments. Let's listen to the KPI of the Week. Thank you, David, very much. Great to be here as always. And this week we have another underwriting-focused key performance indicator, and the KPI is Average Resubmits Per File. This single measurement can not only help lenders develop consistency in underwriting and optimize departmental processes, it can also guide business users to examine contributing tasks and processing that affect this number. KPIs in practice, and you might say by definition, are constantly on display and updated in near real time, making it much easier to pinpoint however many friction points may be combining to produce a given effect, like number of resubmissions, which can also vary by product type, another aspect that the KPI can uncover, demonstrating once again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. I always like that saying, what, get, what's get, what gets measured gets results. I'm so excited to have joining us today uh, Mark Fleming, who is, of course, the chief economist uh, of the First American. He's, done, he's been there for a number of years. His high profile speaks at many of the conferences. And I've had the privilege of having him on the program before. We're really excited to talk about something that is a bit of a complicated and confusing topic at the moment. It has to do with existing home sales. Mark Fleming, thanks so much for taking time out of your day and joining us, my friend. Good to have you back. My pleasure, David. Thank you. Well, you know, look at the existing home sales numbers. Uh, let's run through it. Well, first of all, we should for those that are not familiar or need some background, we do have a lot of n- people new to the industry. So let's talk a little bit about this report. It's produced by the National Association of Realtors. It's produced around the 20th of each month, and it's usually, is it not for the previous, immediate previous month? That uh, Is that correct on that, or is it go looking back two months? Yes. No, that's right. So uh, last month they reported on March in the third week of April, and uh, coming up in a couple of weeks they'll be reporting April data. Yeah, in fact, it's, I think it's scheduled to come out next week when we're at the Secondary Marketing Conference. So it's really fascinating. But we, one of the things, when you and I spoke the other day, you really caught my attention with some statement that this is, that we, uh, with the exception of, one month, which one month was that? This is the the lowest, uh, the largest first quarter month over month decline in existing home sales since 1991. That right. is, uh, th- that's very concerning. What's going on, Mark? Well, if you recall, uh, a couple of months ago when they reported February's existing home sales numbers, they came in very, very low. And in fact, um, based upon that, they were implying a, a very, very large month-over-month decline between January and February. And uh, oh, I'm not a huge fan of uh, worrying too much about what happens month-to-month in most statistics. Everyone got up in arms and said, oh, my gosh, you know, the sky is falling. Right. Um, a lot of the data that was out there, though, was saying, hey, it doesn't seem to be that bad pending home sales, uh, loan applications. Even our own public records data was seeming to indicate that there didn't seem to be such a big decrease. And so we went back and looked. The 5.07 million seasonally adjusted pace of sales, so just over 5 million pace of sales that was reported in February and only minusculely revised in March, turns out that that January to February month-over-month decline was with the exception of the decline in 2007, which was the start of the housing right. crisis. Right. The most recent one was the largest first quarter month-over-month decline since 1991. So either we're in another housing crisis 
or there's something else going on. And I'll, I'll bet on the latter. <laughs> yeah, that's so let's get into that. So how when you're looking at these numbers, I mean, look, at, look at these numbers, and I was writing them down for each month uh, as, as we were getting ready for the, the podcast here today. I was looking at these and going back over the first quarter. And so put this in a historical context, if you could. Get us into relating to the current numbers as to where we should possibly, or where you would suggest we should see them to be in a positive territory right now. Give, if you could run through that just briefly. Give, again, looking for a historical context for this discussion today. Sure. So uh, we currently believe that the housing market has the potential to support about 5.8 million um, homes on an annualized sales of homes on an annualized basis. Okay. Um, that's based upon demographic trends. If you recall, over the last 15, 20 years, the population has gotten bigger. It's more households that need shelter, so that would create more mm -hmm. demand for homes. Um, house prices have rebounded. Um, in many parts of the country, interest rates are very low. Uh, jobs are back. Uh, we can talk about the latest job report maybe a little bit later if you want. But all of these sort of yeah. fundamental driving forces underpinning the housing market would yield a potential market of 5.8 million. Based upon March's numbers uh, at 5.33, we're about 400,000 short. So the market is underperforming its potential. The question becomes why. When yeah, and that so let's go to the let's go to the why and start getting into it. There's there's another economist you and I talked about out there who suggested that uh, that it was because millennials are having to live at home and therefore existing homeowners who are the who are the baby boomer generations, my generation, that are unable to move out of their homes and or the kids have moved back into the house, therefore they're not following the normal pattern of downsizing. But as you and I talked over the weekend, the household formation negates that. So talk a little bit about household formation, looking at, you know, is that, was that a, something that was influencing it? Kids coming home, staying in the house, and that was a factor and no longer a factor? What's going on with household formation? Well, I, I, I think there, there's truth in the, in, the, in the fact that a few years ago, at least, uh, millennials clearly as a young age cohort trying to enter the workforce, coming into the workforce um, in the greatest recession since the Great Depression uh, doesn't make things easy. And so there was a lot of sort of moving back in with the parents. Uh, but that's, that's um, I think, much less so the case right now. In the last few years, uh, the entire majority of all household formation that has occurred has been on the rental side. And that's, that's largely really the large, right? The large millennial distribute people coming out and renting. They're renting instead of buying. But that's what most people do first, right? That's the natural yeah. course is to rent with others before buying. So, I think the reason is so now that the the empty nester is truly an empty nester because a uh, young millennial uh, son or daughter has left and is renting with their buddies down in a fancy part of town with lots of good amenities that they all love. Um, yep. They're not selling for a different reason, not because there's someone in the basement, but because there's a duality problem in the housing market, and that is that's a great unlike, term, the duality. Talk, get yeah, into that. Explain, to explain what that, you right? mean by the duality. Okay, so traditional economics 101 says there is a supplier of a good. Apple supplies iPhones, and there is a demander or consumer of the good. I like to buy iPhones but we are two distinctly separate and different entities. In the housing market, right. the vast majority of homes supplied 
are supplied by who? Existing homeowners. And those existing homeowners are making the decision about buying coincident with or dual to their decision to sell. The separation of the buy and the sell decision in the housing market, there is none. It's a dual decision of the two. And so I'm holding off listing my home for sale because I'm concerned about being able to find one that I like to buy. See, that's, that is, I think, the key to this market right there. I think that has that speaks more to my generation. The house I've got, I'm not sure uh, that I can find something. This may be bigger than what you know, mom and I need, but it's uh, you know, my wife and I need. But it's it's it. Yeah, what are we going to find on the other side? And so I think that's really good. I want to get Andy Shell into this discussion, and then I'm going to go to Alice. Alice, you could get prepared for your question, but Andy. It's really interesting when you look at this. You and I are that baby boom generation and some of the factors that weigh into this. So comment. I love your thoughts on the duality and then get some questions for Mark. Well, I was, I was still Googling, looking up duality so I could understand what he was talking about. <laughs> no, uh, you know, he makes a great point, and that's a really interesting factor. And I was, I was thinking about that as he was saying that because I have uh, some recent memory of, not too long ago, friends who actually sold their house, moved everything to storage, moved into an apartment, and then bought their house because they weren't sure about how this was going to go. And so the the transaction delay was was extensive for them because they commiserated over this for a very long time. Whereas 20 years ago, when I've done this, I would have I would have listed the house and found the next house and maybe even bought without selling with the intent of renting my old home. And so does, does that factor play into this, Mark, that people are, are not considering the rental real estate alternative if they can't sell and buying before they sell? Or, I mean, there's so many factors here. What are the top three or yeah. four variables? Right. I mean, I think the, there's, the, the, there's all these elements of that co- the complexity of the, of the process now is, is more difficult. I mean, how do you offer a bid on a home to sell as a buyer – contingent upon you selling your home I and mean, you're likely to lose that that bid right so the traditional way where we all put contingencies in where i'm i'll buy your home but only if i can sell mine and sort of the system kind of worked that way is not really acceptable anymore i think the other challenge i'll add a little more insult to injury here is that in most of recent history the last 30 years in the housing market there's been a long run downward trend in mortgage rates and so uh there's a built-in incentive to to move because even if my income hasn't gone up uh i can afford to buy more home with the same mortgage payment and so yeah 5 Good 6 point. 7 years go by yeah let's move i'm not too worried about being able to, being able to sell my house i'm looking and saying i can buy a bigger house or buy more home doesn't necessarily have to be bigger but more utility of home and uh and and my cost of doing that is is uh the same if not less depending on how much rates have gone down we've actually had rates sitting for about 2 years now right around the same place give or take 25 30 basis points and so you say, well, you know, I have a three and seven eighths mortgage, and you know, where's the where's the incentive for me to actually list my home for sale and go through all this hassle and pay all these transaction fees, when the reality of it is, I'm not going to get any benefit of being able to purchase more home, based upon a rate reduction relative to where I am today. 
another hmm. reason why sellers don't want to sell. Well, Mark, it sounds like you need to be a psychologist in, a, in addition to an economist <laughs> to understand the market here. They're all they're all behavioral science sciences, right? <laughs> they're all all well, that, and that and that. Go ahead, Andy. I'm sorry, I got to throw any. Gotta, no, gotta no, throw go ahead, David. Me. Housing. Well, I think the thing when you look at that, Alice, I'm coming to you right after this uh, question. But you look at Fannie Mae housing sentiment is down two and a half percent. Our good friend, mutual friend Doug Duncan over there is measuring that. I find that interesting. What other some other? There's another uh, sentiment, real estate sentiment index that's out there. Who does that one? And, and what are we to learn from these sentiment indexes? Is the, that, that speaks to the Andy, the emotional side of things, the psychic side of the market. That's right. When we, when we do these surveys with these sentiment-based structures to really get a sense of what does the consumer or, the, uh, or the, you know, the person being surveyed collectively feel, I was shocked and a little bit you know, concerned that Doug's housing sentiment survey shows it uh, is down 2.5%. How can it be down 2.5% when house prices are rising at 6% and inventories are tight? This is a seller's market if ever there was one. And then even worse yeah. – they further delve in and says more feel it's a bad time to sell than a good time to buy for the first time in over a year. This doesn't make any sense other than the duality problem and the lack of incentive based on rates. We, I think the real hit, estate sentiment index is ours, and we ask the same thing of volumes for, of title agents, and they're saying the same thing. We think purchase volumes are going to slow down because of this problem of this market getting sort of all sort of locked up um, around the lack of inventory, which is, in a sense, also creating a concern about uh, creating that inventory. You guys do, do a great job with the Real Estate settlement, uh, Sentiment Index, and I think I'd love to get into some of the factors that go into that. But I want to roll over to Alice real quickly. One of the things that I think as we toss her the mic, I was thinking is regulation a factor, but Alice, go for it. Well, I, I'm just thinking here, how do we overcome this, right? So, so far, the only we've given out lots of reasons as to why the duality is a problem. So it, it, it sounds like from what you're saying, the only market, fat, more market force in there that could change this would be a rate incentive. I mean, aren't there other incentives involved here in terms of, like, the type of housing solution that, the, that people are looking for that could incentivize them, um, you know, the house price. I mean, what are some of the ways to get out of this then? Because uh, so far I'm just hearing a lot of doom and gloom guys need to kind of think how we can get a little positive here. <laughs> yeah, let's try and be positive here for a second. So there's a couple of yeah. elements. One is, and we touched on those millennials who are moving out of their parents' homes and renting in large numbers. Keep in mind that this is a demographic cohort that is even larger than the baby boomers. So when they decide to buy – it will be, be a significant demand push. Uh, yeah. I have to believe at some point if you're an existing homeowner and pricing gets so good, then eventually say, well, you know what, I, I may not be too concerned about um, whether or not I can buy something because I'm going to make a ton of money selling it, right? Because yep. of all of that demand that's going to come into the marketplace. We'll, we'll hold off for maybe a, another, another session, sort of the pricing of you know, providing the demand at the right price points, but – there should be a price incentive. In fact, historically, when you look back over the last 30 or 40 years, home sales increase when prices increase. People feel wealthy. So I think that sort of wealth effect might generate the sort of unlock that market, and that might be helpful, pr predominantly driven by millennial demand. 
Um, the other element of it is building new homes, building new uh, in, in the right kinds of places. I think uh, it will eventually begin to play out. You see it in many of the major metropolitan areas that some of these really nice condominium buildings that are being built in where I live in Washington, but in many other major cities in the country are being snapped up by baby boomers often uh, because they're looking for, interestingly, the same kinds of amenities that their children who hmm. just moved out of their basements are. <laughs> That's amazing. That is really amazing. So they all want to move to that type of home, right? So the, the baby boomers want to downsize to maybe something like that. The millennials want to go to that structure. So if you're sitting in a, you know, more of a standard home, we need first-time home buyers then to start pushing that mid-range market through um, through that chain. So where are we at with the first-time home buyer market? Does that play a role in this? Sure. It's uh, well. First of all, the statistics on first-time home buyers are really difficult because uh, the ones we commonly track are coming from different surveys. They're not. Uh, there's different definitions. I think one of the best ones is actually now the the publicly available free loan level data that Fannie, Freddie, and Ginnie Mae, sort of FHA and VA business, are putting out there, and the, uh, um, because of Dodd Frank required that. Um, they have specific flags for first-time homebuyers, and they're showing a pretty decent share of first-time homebuyer activity within their world. Now, that's not everything, um, but it will get better uh, as that millennia, as millennials change, transition from being renters to owners, as they begin to get married, as they begin to have children. Those are really, really important lifestyle decisions that drive home ownership. And people have suggested well, the, the suburbs are going to get hollowed out because millennials want to live in the urban core and get the amenities, and the baby boomers are moving, want to move back into that urban core. And I say, yes, when I was 26 and single, I also wanted to live in the urban core. I didn't want to go live in suburbia push, uh, with you know, everyone pushing babies around in strollers. That was not appealing, right? That's not right. new to any generation. It's just a matter of the timing. Millennials are doing the kinds of things that make them desire the kinds of housing that you find in the suburbs, bigger, better schools, things like that, they're doing those things later. So Interesting. Uh, if it's time just, it's and just patience more of a is a policy, thing. yeah, time and patience, that's the policy right now. <laughs> well, Mark, yeah. well, sp- well, Mark I have another like quick outliers. question for you. Yeah, go ahead, Andy. So, so Mark, uh, you know, I, I travel a lot, so I, I get to watch – TV on Southwest Airlines, and they only have the shows people won't watch otherwise. So there's a show called Tiny Homes, and it's about people moving out of 3,000 square foot, a family with two kids, buys this luxury tiny home. It's totally tricked out, 250 square feet. They can take it where they want. It's, it's like a motor home, but it's stick-built. It's like wood. And apparently it's booming. People are flocking to this. They want to be mobile. They want to have a tricked-out luxury. They don't care if it's small. Is that real? Do you think that's a trend? So there are a couple of things there. Uh, yep, seen the show. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's booming. But, like, if something is booming from zero, then you don't need a lot of it to make it boom, right? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so that's the, yeah. If, if something point. goes from one to two, it's increased by 100%, but it's still only two. And here's a bigger here's a bigger issue, and a lot this plays out broadly across many of our statistics, not just tiny homes or housing statistics or even economic statistics. Is 
the millennials are such a large cohort in sheer size that if even a few of them decide to do something, it can have a meaningful influence, right? Right. Think of the if 10% of a million people decide to all have some kind of a, a behavioral pattern, that's a lot of people with the same behavioral pattern that could influence the data. And so what we're seeing in some of these trends is large movements caused by small shares of a very large group of people doing something. Tiny home trend. Yeah. Yeah. I, and wh- I saw point. an article on the tiny tri- home trend, and they are now those that have lived in them for any amount of time going, nice little detour, but we've got to get more <laughs> room. We've got to go back to a traditional <laughs> exactly. home. And what's interesting, when you look at the size of homes that are being built across the, the, all demographics, Homes are getting bigger, not smaller. So it's a neat little, it's a neat little uh, let's go try this trendy little thing for a while. But you get three, four kids running around that little place, 250 square feet, and you're hunting back. You're ready to move back to suburbia with the big yard and all the extra <laughs> space. So it's a really interesting trend that's going on there. Uh, what about rising rents? That's one someone just sent that in. Isn't that going to be a driving factor? Rents in many areas are going up, and even the availability of rentals are at an affordable price. Uh, Andy and I have an old associate that used to work with us, lives up in uh, the Fort Worth area right now. He says, it's crazy up here. I had a, They're jacking my rent up. at what I, It's like $500 a month, and it's up over $1,000 a month from a few years ago when he moved into the area and he was getting this job. It is nuts. And when you look at that, that has got to be a factor that's going to push people towards home ownership at some point, you would think. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, the, you know, the, the economist says, oh, renting a home is substitutable to owning a home. Maybe not exactly, but close. Um, yeah. And that if you have these rents driving things up, then you should be transitioning to home ownership. But I, I think that's an overly financial uh, view of the problem of your choice of shelter. Say it another way, I don't yeah. always make my decision about renting versus owning purely based on the finances. I want to be mobile. I want to live in the city and not in the suburbs right now because that fits my lifestyle, all of those kinds of things. Those, so it goes back to the duality. Uh, let's just hit on that one more time. I can't believe we're out of time already, Mark. Hit on the duality again. Give a, another explanation. People, Several people are, are Googling that and sending, does he mean this, does he mean that? So if you could – Sure. What does duality mean again, one more time with slightly different words? So, so the duality of the buying and selling decision, in other words, most buyers of homes are first existing homeowners. So the decision to sell is dual to your decision to buy. You make both of the decisions together. So if, if you're not going to do one without the other. And so Sorting out is, what you're uh, going to do for the other, exactly. Yeah, so where where you were willing to take a step of faith or leap out there, hoping that you're going to improve your situation uh, because the property has gone up in value, you had confidence in the market. But people, it sounds like the, they, which goes to the sentiment, real estate sentiment index that you have, that that is down 4.4 percent quarter over quarter. That really is an interesting teller. I think you've got a great index. How can people learn more about this index and all of your information that you're publishing, Mark? It's really good research. Sure. Uh, visit our company's website. It's uh, firstam.com, and there's an econ center there that has all of our blogs and research reports. 
I cannot tell you, listeners, to dial into this, check this out. There's opportunity in these trends. Do not ignore these trends. And Mark and his group do an outstanding job of marketing to them or monitoring them so that you can market to the right trend. It makes all the difference. If you know, <laughs> What did they say? If you go where the – Wayne Gretzky, if you want to go be successful, go to where the, mark, the puck is going, and you'll be able to – have a much greater chance of getting a good shot. So anyway, thank you so much, Mark, for coming out of the radio program today. Excellent job. There's just so much information in these notes that we didn't get to, so we got to have you back soon. That's the bottom line. My pleasure. Thank you. Got to have you back. Always a pleasure. Folks, it's been good to have you with us. We appreciate you being here. Again, I'll be broadcasting live from the National Secretary Marketing Conference. Love to see you there. Also, we'll be at a number of other conferences, the, uh, the New York MBA Conference as well as the Western Secondary. Hope to see you at one of these. Have a great week, rest everybody, and we'll be looking forward to talking to you, broadcasting live with a number of surprise guests from the Secretary Marketing Conference in downtown New York City. Have a blessed week, everyone. Talk to you soon. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.